Well, thanks for calling into the pre-show, Greg. Thank you. How was your day? Um, the Prime Minister mm -hmm. mentioned the group ConquerCOVID19.ca that yep. I'm helping in terms of managing the website. And yeah. uh, I laughed and I cried because I've now called my hosting company four times in the past week to talk about the plan I'm on and how do I have to up it. It started, it started with a CTV article on Sunday. Then I believe it was the Minister of Family Services retweeted the CTV article yesterday. And then the yeah. Prime Minister walks out today and mentions the group. And they're like, okay, okay. You know, we, we launched a website, spun it up, thought it would uh, put a couple of forms on there. You know, we thought we'd get some inquiries uh, over the last day. We've had hundreds and hundreds of inquiries. We've had to engage uh, U of T med students to help us out, field all the inquiries. It's been nuts. Really? Yep. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. Yep. Yeah. It's been that fantastic. Is... The response has been phenomenal and so many people want to help and so many people want to, so many people need help. But what's uh -huh. amazing is so many people want to help. And it's people saying, I've got time, I've got technology, I've got, you know, masks that I have in my house. Got tons of things. That's awesome. Good, good, good. And are you fine? Like, are you getting stuff to doctors and hospitals and nurses? Yeah. And so other so one of the, one, facilities? Yeah, yeah. One of the, uh, one of the, an example of that that's that's been amazing is we had one of the doctors, one of the physicians on in our group because we have a number of physicians that sit within our advisor, not advisor group, but within this group. And uh, one of them said, "You know, what would be really great is if we had baby monitors, so that you know doctors that are in with the patients but are consulting with other doctors can talk mm -hmm. via two-way communications with baby monitors, for example." Mm -hmm. And so, um, we put the word out and our good friend Suleiman, I think reached out to Toys R Us, Toys R Us stepped up and I think they've donated 125 monitors, which are now being distributed to hospitals around the GTA. So a lot, a lot of, mm -hmm. it's really nice to see the brands that are the brands and the companies that are stepping up XYZ storage. Um, the company that with iron gate that we have our, our sellers with, um, yeah. our vaults. Uh, mm -hmm. they stepped up and, uh, they've offered basically storage across Canada and vehicles across Canada as we need for delivery and pickup. It's been fantastic. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. That is good. Well, I mean, it's, everyone's being impacted in some way, shape or form right across this country. Yep. Um, so I think people are sort of saying, okay, it's up to me to do something, whether that something is staying at home. Um, or whether that's something is like what you're doing, um, helping out with a, um, you know, with a, with a group of volunteers to, to get product that is needed to the, uh, what people are calling the front lines. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hey everybody, this is Mika Barnes for Nylon, current recording jazz artist and uh, global playboy. Really happy to be here with, oh shit, what's the name of the show? <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the music. Welcome to the music. 
Well, let me try that again, shall I? <laughs> what city am I in? <laughs> that is fine. Thanks for joining us, Mika. Oh, so we're we're in. I'm not going to read. We're that. in. Yeah. No, no, that's perfect. Honest <laughs> to God, that'll be terrible. perfect. Oh my God, you guys are crazy! <laughs> All right, here I am. Yeah, sorry you you caught us off guard when you said Playboy. So we're uh, don't understand. We're... Did you not read my bio? <laughs> yeah, I, I I think your your publicist forgot to put that part in. Uh, <laughs> I need to pay him a, just a little bit more, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, <laughs> Mika, thank you again for for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um. I'm going to use the word that has been used a thousand times. I think a drinking game will get started once uh, this is all over and we're all uh, hanging out in bars and clubs again. But um, we are living in unprecedented times. Um, uh, you know, you, you're obviously a, uh, you, you sent it off in the intro, former member of the Nylons, uh, jazz singer. I know that you are also um, coaching, a vocal coach as well. Um with all of this in mind, how obviously um, COVID-19 must have impacted you in a number of ways. I'm wondering if you can sort of uh, talk to us about uh, some of these uh, disruptions to your life. Huh. Well, I will tell you, I was about to drop a full-length record. We were in release mode and the momentum was building. We were on to our, we'd done two singles which had been beautifully received and the momentum online with the videos was global as opposed to national and, um, and it hit. So we ended up having to move the CD launch concert to the fall and the third single and video. We had just cut the video for the third single and we were literally like, I had to take it down from all the digital distribution. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like it, it was, it's hard to describe how giant our momentum was and then suddenly to screech to a halt. You know, it is nothing in comparison with people who are working on the front lines, losing their lives to this pandemic globally. Uh, whether you release your record now or in the fall is literally the least important thing on earth. But it meant that I had a whole you know, spring tour set up with soft seat theaters across Ontario that, you know, we had to fold up and go home. And mm -hmm. I know I'm, I'm, I'm pretty chill, but there was about a week there where I was trying to reorganize everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm self-managed. So I had about six mm -hmm. people that I was in constant communication with on my team, managing the team, managing, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? How do we deal? And, you know, um, so I was in a bit of an emergency for a while. And then, so the last two weeks where here in Toronto, we've been on official lockdown, it has been fantastic. I mean, I'm busy as hell, but I'm quiet. Wow. I'm at home. I have stillness in my heart. I have, you know, love for everybody who's like, there are people out there who lost everything and are really wondering if they can pay the rents. And I am not in that situation because my clients continue to book. In fact, they're double booking with me twice a week instead of once because they're home with nothing to do. Mm. This is your vocal coach business. Yeah. I also do career strategy too, right? So I've got clients in LA and New York and across Canada. And what happens is they've been, the out-of-towners have been doing the online with me from time immemorial. Now it just happens to be 
a guy who's also on Queen Street's going online with me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty good. I mean, honestly, it is heart-wrenching when you see the incredible amount of people whose lives are not only disrupt disrupted but ended because of this virus. But um, in terms of my little bubble of the world, I'm going to pick up a book and read a goddamn book for once in my life. You talked about stillness in your heart. I'm wondering if you can sort of uh, elaborate on that and what, what that manifests as, itself as. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I was, I was in full... Um, I was in full manage the situation mode, both in release while we were gearing up for the release. If I have a European team as well as a North American team on that, which means constant communication and coordination and management um, of people and expectations, and and then and then when you when when everything fell apart, I was sort of in an emergency mode myself, trying to figure out. Um, how how what we were going to do to reland everything for the fall. However, all of that, all of that, all of that is dependent on Mika Barnes uh, as an artist, as a person, having a sense of peace at the center of the storm. If I don't, then everybody mm. on my team they all feel it. The audience feels it. You know, my socials reflect it. Like if I don't have stillness in my heart, and if like I e confidence that i'm in the right place at the right time doing exactly what the universe has intended this mika guy to do on the planet if i'm good with all that then i can be peaceful in the midst of a hurricane uh, i can be still in the in the midst of a pandemic one, one of the things that i noticed on uh, i think you shared the other day um your trainer moving his like, oh, physical yeah. trainer, right? Adrian, I yeah. think it was. Um, yeah. You know, from a mental health and a physical health perspective, it's really interesting to see how these times have changed us or, or how we've changed with the times and how quickly we've changed. Like, for example, my wife and all her friends get together because one of their friends is a yoga instructor and they get uh -huh. together every day at noon. They jump on Google Hangouts. So, Mika, it's interesting, you know, when... I had my cousin in town, I think it was about two weeks ago, again, losing track of time with the days here, but, um, you know, she was asking, you know, what's going to be on the other side of this? And I thought, you know, we're going to see a lot of really creative stuff. We're going to see artists getting creative and not just artists, but fans, you know, doing mashups and getting really creative around their favorite artists. Um, and, and I think we're seeing that with some of the, you know, you know, impromptu concerts and even some of the people, you know, doing meme like or, or, or mixing up music. And, and mm -hmm. it's just it's very interesting. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, what you've seen. Yeah, well, of course, we've we've taken the, the music performance out of the amphitheater and the local club and we put it in the living room. So it's 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 living room to living room, which is a which is a much more human scale. And I, I have to say, like, you know, the music that I make, jazz, um, and even when I was with the Nylons and doing bigger theaters around the world, um, you know, it has been, it's been beautiful to see how direct and in intimate the music communication has become now that we're live streaming from the living room as opposed to, you know, all the other ways 
that we've delivered music. I love it. Um, you know, the intimacy that we're getting with our big stars right now is unparalleled. And, um, you know, people, a lot of people talk about, like, needing to dig in and spread love during this time. And I am seeing an awful lot of positive results of people having to be locked down and dig in for themselves and their loved ones. There's a lot more caring and sharing online that, that you know, this is, we're, we're coming out of a, an extremely divis, divided period politically in North America. And um, suddenly the world is smaller. Suddenly everybody's your brother or your sister. Um, and I'm, I'm always happy to see that and to feel that. And after all, you know, why do I make music? It's about communication. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm in a big hall or coming straight to your living room. It's all good. Mm-hmm. I'm back, gentlemen. Hi. We barely missed you. <laughs> um, we, we, we kept talking. I don't know if it kept recording, but we'll figure that out in post. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure that out. Uh, but appreciate your patience. Uh, of course. Really, really appreciate you know sharing your thoughts, Meek, on on sort of you know you, what, how you're dealing with this and your thoughts uh, around the the current pandemic. Um, I, as I was researching you, one of the first things I'm always curious about is how someone gets started in this business, yeah. and it almost seems you were born to be <laughs> in entertainment. Your dad was a drummer, composer. Both yeah. of your brothers were. Your mom wrote for Mr. Dress Up. Yeah. Like, it would have been strange if you were not in the entertainment industry. Yeah, the big shock would have been, hey, mom, I've decided, da- mom, dad, sit down. I have something big to tell you. I'm going to be an investment banker. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were, we were very blessed. I mean, I'm a CBC brat. I grew up in the studio watching my mom handle all these stupid executives who were trying to push her around on Mr. Dressup show. Uh, I watched um, my father uh, as, a, as a serious composer dealing with the, you know, the classical world. And, you know, my brothers and I all went into the business. But one of the things is that we believed we could. Uh, you know, we, we never thought that you couldn't make a living in, in the music industry. And um, boy, were we wrong. <laughs> I'm joking, but you know, it's true. You can actually, you can see the kids that have the leg up. And uh, it means that while I was still in, uh, in high school, I was already performing under my own name and making a name for myself in the business when I was still really a kid. And that's thanks very much to the family I grew up in. My grandmother was a concert pianist in Europe, so we really didn't have any, there was no way we were going to do anything else. Were you... Did you feel pushed into it? Is it something you wanted to pursue? What did your parents think of this? Well, you know, I was interested in becoming a dancer or an actor when I was a oh, kid. Wow. And I, and I, yeah, and I was training and continued to train as an actor through my teens and into my 20s. Um, you know, I did all, a bunch of theater productions. Uh, but, you know, when I was about 12, 13, the music grabbed me and it didn't let go. I, I mean, really grabbed me. Like, I mean, I... I was in a rock and roll band with my friends in the garage and I, I heard a Billie Holiday record my mom gave my stepfather and I, 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 it was such a profound experience. I went in and I quit 
the band, I not only quit the band, I told them, I'm quitting rock and roll, and I'm going home to become a jazz and blues artist. Goodbye. Wow. <laughs> so I took, it, I took my decisions very seriously, as you can see. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't be the last time you changed uh, music genres, because I know, uh, we'll, we'll get to it later, but I know when sure. you moved to L.A., um, you, you, you sort of took a left turn or a right turn. I don't know uh, how to explain it, but um, yeah. do you remember the first time you went on stage and performed uh, like publicly? Was that like in a school thing or was that in a jazz club? You know what? Gee, what? I was so young, man. I mean, okay. When I was 13, I went and played, the, you know, the Yorkville singer songwriter folk scene was, the remnants of that was still happening here in Toronto when I was a kid. I grew up downtown uh, in the annex. So I went to the, I went to a place called the Fingerboard, and I I just did a uh, a set there, and it was like an open mic sign up situation. And they gave me like a feature set almost right away. So by fourteen, I was already performing, and I, I was terrified. I was so anxious i was so racked with stage fright my wow. hands were shaking oh my god i would like want to throw up but something made it really deeply compelling to me i had done acting class where i had been performed for the public i'd done a little bit of tv acting i'd done some you know dance recitals and stuff with my you know just from classes and stuff and i loved mm -hmm. performing you know i loved performing but by the time music hit as a teenager, when I learned a song, the first thing I wanted to do was go perform it. And yeah, wow. it was all school, you know, mostly school stuff to start with. And then, sure. you know, but my, and then I moved into the, the, the cafes, the coffee houses, and eventually the jazz clubs of Toronto at a ridiculously young age. I mean, that was stupid. I was, I was already had a, a jazz trio under my own name by age, what was it, 18? <laughs> you know, so yeah. Wow. So how old were you when you joined the Nylons? You know, I was in my 20s, and the guys were all older than me. They were all 10 years older than me. So it was weird. They were like, they were grown-ups. They'd come up through the musical theater world, and I was sort of still a fresh-faced kid off Queen Street, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I had a, had a lot to learn, I will tell you that. So you go from, like, it's, it's, it's very different, right? You're doing jazz stuff, and I know jazz... You know, there there's the standards that you might sing um, at a showing, but then you you might have your own stuff as well. Yeah. How was it? How was it like going to performing with the Nylons? That you know, predominantly very popular, mm. or predominantly uh, like a cover band almost. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the fact that the guys sang other people's songs was initially a real challenge for me, and I wasn't sure how I was going to negotiate that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was being offered, I mean, keep in mind, I'm a baritone, they needed a baritone. I'm a front man, they needed a front man. I'm a songwriter, they needed a songwriter. I was looking for a record deal, they had a record deal. I wanted to be, <laughs> right? I wanted to go around the world and do concerts. They were already doing that and they were willing to pay me to join them. I mean, <laughs> come on, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I got to sing someone else's songs. Big, <laughs> deal, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, but then they put together arrangements. Like if you listen to say "I Want the Truth" or you know "Lion Sleeps Tonight" or "Kissing Goodbye" or uh, you know "Up the Ladder to the Roof," like 
all of the chestnuts from their repertoire, from the nylons repertoire, are so deeply reworked. The arrangements are a cappella to start with, but also the tempos, the way that the nylon arrangements paid attention to the lyric and the melodic and harmonic uh, content in the songwriting. It took that brill building rock and roll and pop and R&B and basically elevated it. I mean, there's mm -hmm. moments in the nylons canon that are stunning. My favorite was to sing Laura Nero's Eli's Coming, which had been a hit for a whole bunch of people. But, you know, singing that was like an opus. It was like a symphony and a vocal symphony at that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a lot to learn. I had to learn how to sing harmony, which I'd never really done. I had to learn how to sing, you know, tell jokes in, you know, on a concert stage as myself in the context of this theater theatrical presentation. And then also, you know, remember the choreography, you know, like I, you know, like I wasn't a dancer dancer. So there was an awful lot. Um, the learning curve was incredibly steep, but guys, it was like going to university, you know, it was a university course on how to actually be a pop star. It was perfect. That's awesome. You talk about, you talk about, uh, you know, being funny on stage and, and talking. I mean, was that natural to you? And the reason I ask that is, for me and in, and in, in, in had nowhere near the career you've had by any stretch um but i know you know when we're on stage and you know a, a, an amp blows up or whatever else uh -huh. you got to shuck and jive it right and right. so one of the things that we worked a lot on jeff and myself would work on is improv because it really oh, yeah. helped in those situations where you're like oh shit okay you can't just stop i mean some bands do and that's fine if that's what they do but you know we always wanted to be that so like how like did it come naturally to you or did you did you have to work at that? Or? You know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a real correlation between musicians and comedians, especially jazz musicians and comedians, because we're, we're kind of, we're tapping into something like you don't really know what's coming. You, never, you can't really be prepared for half of it. Certainly as a jazz musician, your job is to create in the moment, very similar to a comedian who might have a, little bit of an idea of where his set's going but he's got to react to the crowd to the newspaper of the day and you know i have to say i do come by the gift of gab fairly naturally as you may be <laughs> noticing um you know but 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 to be oneself and to find out whether that's okay in the world i had already done that i'd started as a very young kid i didn't think i could sing so i was telling jokes being funny and being like a character, being a personality, you know, that was very much my artist brand, if you will, uh, from day one. Because I was, I was like a cabaret guy, you know. You come in, you get entertained, hear some songs, tell, you know, make, make fun of shit. I mean, my whole thing was like, I was very influenced by the comedians of the day. And I continue to believe that the moment that we meet an audience is always a rebirth where you get to make it up as you're going along. It's mm. one of the most beautiful things we ever get to do on the planet. I feel very blessed to get to do it. Is there a, is there a performer, whether it's a, a comedian um, or a band or yeah, singer that you really admire in terms of how they perform and how they control the audience and stage? <laughs> ever seen Nick Cave? That guy is a master. If you even if you don't like rock and roll, that guy mm -hmm. has got his finger on the pulse. Uh, he's like a southern preacher, man. You know, he brings it down to the ballad, takes it back up to the mountaintop, 
He's like a preacher, and it's fantastic. Um, you know, look, I, I, I tell people, see your heroes, because you never know uh, if, if they're right. And, and so yeah. I'm a guy of a certain age. How lucky am I? I've gotten to see David Bowie, Aretha Franklin, Barbara uh, Streisand. You know, and I made it a point to see everybody that I could when I was a kid. So I've seen Prince. I've seen, you know, oh. right. So, so when you're asking me who's inspired me, well, it's going to be the greats. What I wish is that I could have seen Billie Holiday in concert. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm lucky that I did see Ella and, and, you know, Sarah and Joe Williams. And, you know, like I'm, I'm right on the cusp there where when I was a kid on TV, you still had the old timers. You still had Louis Armstrong. You still had, you know, like, uh, you know, Pearl Bailey and, you know, the entertainers from the old days. So, um, I kind of came up watching that and, and that's my idea of what I do is like you entertain the crowd. I may be a jazz artist, but I entertain the crowd and that is job number one because they're not listening to the music so much as they're meeting you as a person. And, uh, you know, as mm. you can, so I've learned that young and I still, that's why the Vegas breeze record makes so much sense. It's like, you know, where's the, where's the ba last bastion of where personality trumps all? Well, sure. Classic, right. Classic Vegas entertainers. And that's the thing. So yeah, I, I, I kind of, I can't say there's one, but, uh, you know, listen, when I was a kid, Lenny Bruce inspired the hell out of me. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, it's, it's, uh. He's saying he's saying shit you can't say. He's talking about stuff you can't talk about, and he's so he's pointing his fingers at society, and he's still funny as hell. I was like, that is dangerous, and I love it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> any of the new? I don't know if you follow, uh, you know, the, sort of the the music that quote unquote kids are listening to these days. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, is who 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 catches your ear? Who catches your eye these days? Well, you know, we've got we've got we've got a wonderful new crop of independently minded and independent independently spirited artists because of the rise of the internet as the great decider, <laughs> right? So, like when you yeah, have yeah. right, so something as official as the Grammys bestowing its uh, crown on the likes of Billie Eilish and <laughs> uh, and Lizzo and um, our little Nas X, you're yeah. talking about the outsiders have now got their hand on the brass ring. You know? The big wow. girl the big girls, the gay boys and the crazy freaks have got the party rocking. And yeah. uh, you know what I mean? So Lady Gaga I think has pointed the way for a lot of people mm -hmm. and continues to be a beacon. She sort of um, is an identity that you can hang that a lot of people can hang their 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 hopes and dreams and aspirations on because she's always giving you a great show and the music's awesome. Um, you know, when it comes to the world of jazz, uh, you know, I'm deeply inspired by my, you know, Kurt Elling and, uh, and he's just one of my favorites and Gregory Porter internationally. And, um, and certainly when you're, when you're thinking about the way that, um, you know, the way that pop music works right now and how the how anybody can become a star overnight, one of my favorite things is that a young a young gentleman that I've been mentoring through my coaching career these last ten years is cracking the Billboard one hundred with a beautiful duet that he made. His his name is JP Sachs and he's a songwriter of 
uh, of giant proportions. And um, his career is, at this moment in time, is looking unstoppable, as is his talent. And uh, J.P. Sachs is somebody who Canadians are going to feel really proud about moving forward, I think. That is awesome. I came across a song. They said you wrote it or you performed it Thunder with Thunderpuss. Is that correct? Welcome to my head? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. this is like this is like techno dance. Like, how would you describe this tune? Yeah, this is like underground house. house. Uh, yeah, techno dance, sure. It was an, we went to number one on the Billboard chart, and it was an indie record. We didn't even have a label. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah, so got, like, that's how, awesome. How, how does a how does a jazz guy <laughs> right? right? How does a jazz guy get into this? Like, I'm, I'm really curious and fascinated about this. Okay, I'll tell you how it happened. So first of yeah. all, you, you know how in jazz you gotta sing. You know, look. If you're going to sing jazz, you have to have some range to your voice. Usually, sure. right? So, like, I have trained my voice. I've worked with fantastic coaches. And, you know, I got to a point where by the time I left the nylons and arrived in Los Angeles, you know, I could sing. I could sing. I could sing from the bottom to the top. What you got, I can do it. So I was so tired of pop. You know, I'd been a jazz guy all my life. And then the nylons gave me this pop reputation. And I was trying to find my way. And I was like, as a songwriter, I was really excited by the new voices in rock and roll and, and pop music. The grunge writers, uh, you know, Alanis Morissette, Kurt Cobain, and, you know, Nine Inch Nails. And I was really into, like, what was happening in, in contemporary music at that time. So I started to stretch my voice up into more of a rock and roll sound. And certainly, you know, the nylons had introduced me to that because a lot of what we did was early rock and roll from the 50s and 60s. And, mm -hmm. you know, I had to sing that stuff. Um, so so I had a rock band and I made a I made sort of a techno rock record and it was shockingly well received in America. I started touring behind it and there was a Canadian and an American who had a very successful uh, remix production team that went from zero to hero overnight. Like they, 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 they were DJs working in relative obscurity until they made a top 10 radio hit for Whitney Houston on one of the songs uh, off, of, off of one of her albums. And suddenly they were remixing everybody from Christina Aguilera to Madonna. They heard what I was doing in my rock and roll phase. Mm -hmm. And they said, they said, oh my God, we love the persona, which was hard ass. They loved the vocal, which was, you know, kick-ass. And they said, okay, we got a song for you. Come on into the studio. Let's try it. And, like, it was a banger. It was one of those tunes that was late night, underground. All the DJs fell in love with it, including the ones in the UK and Ibiza and around the world. And so suddenly I had an opportunity. It was not, you know, you don't know what's in the cards when you start this business, right? Yeah. But... If you look at the careers of people who have had longevity, you know, Elton John, Cher, Bette Midler, you know, people, Bowie, the people who, who had the long-term careers, they were ready for a shift in the tide. They're artists that are able to go with the times and move from style to style without losing the unique artistry that they bring to the table. And, uh, you know, Frank Sinatra is a great example of that. You look at his career. He was always looking at 
what's contemporary here? How does a Frank Sinatra or, say, a Barbra Streisand work in a contemporary context? And that's how I see what I've done in my career. So for me to have a dance record seems a little odd. But, I mean, it was really odd putting on the leather pants in my, <laughs> you know, I will tell you that. And I'm like, oh, these kids are freaking out. They're all on drugs. <laughs> you know? But, hey, listen, who doesn't love to make a buck and who doesn't love to have fun? I went or, I got I got a lot of air air, air miles uh, because of that single and that hit. And I learned a lot about the business and about myself, what it's like under pressure when you're chasing a record up the charts. And mm-hmm. any time that I've been successful um, in terms of a hit record, I've looked around and there's always been a team around me. And I've always had the smartest people in my career around me when I've had the biggest success in terms of my recording. So that, uh, that was no different. I had a great manager and great producers and really fantastic support. Um, you know, these, that's not the kind of thing that happens on your own. You really need a team to make that happen. But you, you went back to jazz. Oh, yeah, man. I took that money. Uh, I was, <laughs> you know it. I, I called up my buddy. He was like, you know, these rock and roll songs that we're doing, they're better at the piano. I said, I know. I'm a jazz artist. I said, but you got to produce the <laughs> record. So I, you know, I threw the money at my own, own record, and I brought that home to Canada, and Molly Johnson heard it and said, okay, you're coming on tour with me. Nice. Yeah, it was one of those lovely moments. And, and, and so will, will we see... More photos of you. Like, are you going to go back to LA, shave your head, put on the tight leather pants? <laughs> well, you know, I'm expressing my rock and roll side a little differently these days. <laughs> Actually, You're, you know what? Go ahead. No, go ahead. no, no. Sorry. Finish that thought. So I'm sorry. I was go ahead. Gonna say, there's a lot of swagger in what I do, as you can probably smell from the conversation. I'm, I am the, I'm a bit of a, I'm a big personality. Look, I'm the lead singer. You know, you know what the drummer's going to be like. You know, you know what the bass player's going to be like. I'm a lead singer. I walk in the room. I, I want to be friends with everybody. I want you all to notice me. But I'm, I also want to give you something. That's the thing. I'm interested in communication, right? So there's a lot of rock and roll swagger in what I do today. And that's very much, in, you know, um, in the music that I make now. There's a kind of a... It's a lot. It's all about making sure that the music fits my personality, you know. And that—that's how I think. That's how you come up with the winning combination. Uh, you know, in, in a career that's successful, you have to really know who you are. So, so I—I I got a question for you, and this I'm is all uh, ears, man. We're gonna—we're gonna sort of go in a different direction. But you've mentioned this person sure. a couple of times. Yeah. You talk about the swagger. You talk about the attitude. You talk about sort of the chameleon. Yeah. Um, what, what did you think of Bowie's Black Star? Oh my God, what a record. Okay, well, first yeah. of all, right. So first of all, we did not listen to it without the context of understanding that it was his last mm-hmm. work, right? Yeah. So we can't really, so it's difficult for me to say, you know. But didn't, wasn't, wasn't it, I thought, I thought it was a day or two before, no? Am I, it, maybe it was, it was, but yeah. by the time I got to hear Oh, it, I got gotcha. you, yeah. Right, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think for most people, because most yeah, yeah, people, yeah, fair enough. Yep. Right. But, 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 doesn't it tell you that as an artist, he wanted to be remembered not only as the man who gave you a wonderful song, but the man who kept pushing the boundaries and yeah. searching for new ways to make music. All that, all those jazz artists working with him. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. who in a million years would have predicted that and that the record would be so good? I mean, yeah. that that is the guy who did take care of his reputation in the sense that... Right to the end. Right to the end. And I get you got to love it. I find that inspirational. I really yeah. do. It's yeah. just enough ego about knowing he's a legend, but also just enough creativity <laughs> as an artist to dig in and make sure that his legend is his artistry. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, to, to me as a huge Bowie fan. I saw Bowie numerous times to me. It was, ah. it was a gift. It was a gift. It was just it was his oh. last gift to to me, to us, to everybody. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. He, he has pointed the way for so many of us. And, um, and yeah, I, I, uh, I'm an acolyte, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. How, how did you get into, into coaching, you know, the career side and vocal coaching? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to laugh. I was just trying to make the rent when I was a kid, really. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, there I was. I was basically, you know, living on Spadina near the Kensington Market in Chinatown. And, um... I was acting in plays, making music for plays, and like actors that needed to sing my songs would come by the apartment and I would teach them, maybe teach them a good warm-up or something, you know. I mean, I, I'd work with coaches, you know, but I was 20, 21 when I was in these shows, right? So tw- hmm. 22 years old, and like, I'm not really going to try to be a coach, but the, the actors started getting like, they'd land a musical or they'd land a musical role in a film. And I'd be like, Oh geez, I seem to have a knack for this. Like, okay, look, I'm, I need the rent for next month. Let me just, you know, let me just start paying, asking a few people to pay me. It wasn't really, it was never a career choice. It's just a calling. I love other artists. Like, you know, you walk in, maybe because my parents were artists and I had the opportunity to, see where they were confident and where they were in need of support. And, um, you know, being the little kid watching them in their careers, I think I had a, an insider's view of how artists grow and what we need in terms of support, in terms of what we need to function well. So I think that's probably an innate thing for me. So when I'm seeing somebody as a voice, you know, as a voice uh, client, we're really talking about the health of their career, the health of their spiritual, emotional, and physical self. Because mm. what do you have to give your audience? It's not just your voice, you know? And uh, so I, I think kind of holistically that way. And that's a, that's a really different uh, thing than being the technique teacher around the block. You know, it's a little bit bigger, deeper. And so that's why I end up, you know, mentoring people who go on to have recording deals and careers in the industry. But the, you know, it, it is something that I love so much. If you gave me trillions of dollars, I would still be coaching. I love it. And, uh, I, I, I'm happy every day that I can see that my calendar is full with people that I get to work with. That's nice. I'm very blessed. In some of the videos that, uh, that I've watched, uh, you you seem to really enjoy playing mm-hmm. to the camera, and and it sort of makes sense. You talked earlier about wanting, you know, uh, have thoughts of being a dancer, an actor. Right. Um, is is that? Is do you ever think of that? You know, there's been a lot of, you know, Bowie did did a, did a few movies. Um, yeah. uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of you know these these front men that 
you know, that, that love the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious yeah. about you and, and your relationship with the camera and your relationship with maybe wanting to be on the small screen or big screen in the future. It's interesting, man. You know, like I, I, I am happy to entertain it. And I absolutely did my time acting TV, a little bit of film, lots of theater. And I love it. Um, I'm most comfortable being myself. Um, I spent an awful lot of time being Mika Barnes and finding out, mm. you know, what what makes Mika Barnes tick, so that I can, you know, develop the music and the stagecraft and the delivery, and um, so I have a lot more confidence in 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 being Mika Barnes than I would, uh, you know, sort of taking on an acting role. However, I will say, never say never. It's one of those things um, that if the universe sends it my way, I would dive in headfirst because I'll learn, I'll grow, and I'll bring all that back to the music, and it'd be good for me. So it's lovely of you to, to think of it. I do have a relationship with the camera. I know that's the tool that gets me to my audience. Mm. And so, you know, so never say never. That's what I say. Never say never. Yeah. What what would you be doing? So you know, you talked about if if somebody gave you a trillion dollars, you'd, <laughs> you'd, you'd still be coaching. Yeah. What would what would you be doing if it you know if your parents, if the family was not in entertainment, right? What would Mika Barnes be doing? Would you be an accountant? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I get to live my dreams. <laughs> well, I know I'd be doing music in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Because I'm made of that. Uh, you know what I'd probably be doing, though? I'd probably have, because the money will help support it, I would probably be doing larger productions as I tour. Mm. You know, like, I, I love the idea of touring larger shows with sets and lights and costumes and stuff. That's fun to me. And, you know, I've done a little bit of that in my career, and I've really enjoyed it. And, of course, the nylons essentially trained me for that. Sure. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, so like occasionally I, I've, uh, I've put my feet in the water of developing shows and, um, you know, musicals and I was going to say that. Yeah. Right. Musicals and the musical the, theatrical musical evenings, uh, concerts that are also like, you know, like a theatrical experience. It takes a lot of finance to get that kind of thing off the ground. So I would probably be losing money by spending money on that. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then I'd go home to Hawaii. And there you go. <laughs> is, is, you, you spent time in L.A. You've, you've toured all over the world. Yeah. Um, why, why, why is Toronto your home? Uh, that's great. So, okay, so when I came back to Canada from Los Angeles, I came back with two things on my mind. One is I'm a grown-up now, and I want to live a grown-up life. Um, Los Angeles is fantastic, but it's a very adolescent culture there. It's all about the new idea, who's got the exciting new thing in town. And, uh, you know, after you've done a couple of seasons, I mean, I was there 12, 12 years I had, a, I had a sense of what was there for me, but what I did not know is what it would be like to come back to, to Toronto and Canada 
and be the big fish in a small pond again. And it was great. Molly Johnson put me on tour right away. And the two mm. and, and the, the team members that I have now are the very top of the industry. And it's, it, I'm not saying that I didn't have fantastic people to work with in Los Angeles, but the people who have the top of the industry there are, you know, the superstars, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a little bit, it's rarefied air, you know. And this is different. This this allows me to have a much richer experience of life. And of course, I get to tour Canada as a Canadian artist, make my records here, and then bring them back to the world. So it's a perfect place to jump off of, out of as well. Um, the Canadian culture in terms of supporting our own music is very, very strong. The jazz culture here is awesome. And because I can pop to New York or LA and you know, we have release plans for Europe in the next with the next album. So I'll be touring there. It's, you know, you can be a global artist and be here in Toronto now much easier than in the old days. And, uh, we have Drake to thank. <laughs> yes. There's a, there's a, there's a number of, you know, musicians. Yeah, not just within what can come. Yeah. I know, but no, no, no. Yeah. But to, to your point, like it's, yeah. you can come out of Toronto now. I remember when, uh, I remember when Sloan went down, uh, mm -hmm. down south, yeah. you know, yeah. think of the, um, uh, you know, when they came back and the songs that they wrote about, you know, yeah. you know, coming back to Canada. But anyway, um, cool. so make a quick question for you. It, 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 we usually like to wrap it up with this question, which I know you mentioned about some of your, you know, the, the, the new artists you've been listening to, you know, lately, what's, what's, what's in your earbuds? What should people be listening to? Okay. So, you know, keeping in mind that, I was deep diving in the world of the Vegas showroom. Uh, you know, I was really, really looking through the back catalogs of artists such as Peggy Lee, who was uh, kind of considered the first singer-songwriter, um, who was an artist who sang her own material way back in the 40s, which we don't really think of her that way, but that was, she was very important. So... The new album has a, has a number of uh, songs that were associated with Peggy. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr., who was you yeah. know probably the you know, the famously the the greatest ever entertainer who ever lived, but kind of an unsung uh, recording artist because he's made some brilliant records and some songs of his that I was just so excited to unearth along with Mel Torme, whose arrangements and songwriting is like, unparalleled. So you're probably getting the impression of where I'm going here. I was, I was dedicated on the next album to go beyond the Rat Pack, beyond the, the, the Rat Pack playlist that we've all heard a million times, and to try to, you know, what, what was Judy Garland singing in Vegas? What was Nat King Cole singing in Vegas? How about Lena Horne, you know? And, uh, mm. you know, all these people were giant headline acts at all the big hotels. And that's, that was the culture back then when the movie songs and the Broadway songs were what you heard on the radio. That's what the people were singing in the showrooms. So I've really been combing, you know, through those catalogs. Now, that's not contemporary. That's what's been in my earbuds. However, yep. right, who do I love that's out there right now? I got... I have to say I'm so lucky because my young clients 
are the ones that turn me on, right? Like uh, um, J.P. Sachs turned me on to way back in the day when it, before he blew up big time. I was able to listen to um, Channel Orange by Frank Ocean before the world got hip to him, you know. Uh, Lord, you know, uh, yep. people people love her, but like I, I hadn't heard of her. No one had heard of her. Billie Eilish was introduced to me two years ago by one of my 14-year-old clients, you know. Like, so <laughs> I'm very... I'm very lucky that way. I always say, what are you listening to? So, and here's the thing. Because I coach country, I coach pop, I coach jazz, blues, folk, rock and roll, I am so blessed because someone will mm. come in and go, have you heard this new record, you know? So in country music, I'm getting a chance to listen to some of the fine female artists that don't get on the radio, uh, you know, because my clients mm-hmm. will play them for me, right? Or I'll, in rock and roll, it'll be some strange indie band that no one's ever going to hear of. But it's like, but my 16-year-old client says, this is the act. This is the band. I'm following them. I'm going to Seattle to see them. And like, so I'm very blessed that way. Right now, I'm waiting for SZA's new record to drop because I love her. I think she's really you know, cutting edge. And she's just that boho queen who's also got just enough of the mainstream in what she does. And, you know, in terms of jazz, Lila Bailey is one of the best Canadian jazz artists we've ever had. She's just released a beautiful new record. Excited to hear the whole thing. And, uh, you know, she's like a contemporary jazz, uh, you know, pal of mine on the scene. And, um, you know, there's always going to be somebody new now because we can do it in our bedroom and give it to the world. Yeah. Yep. Right? So true. For yeah, sure. The old, the old guys don't have control anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mika, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, listen, before we let you go, um, yeah. you know, I know your, your album release date has been changed. Things have, yeah. are, are all up in the air, but you know, you've got a few singles that are out. Uh, from the album, where can people go to hear more of your music and to just to find out more about you? Oh, fantastic. Well, listen, my website, MikaBarnes.com, will lead you directly to my Spotify artist page, lead you directly to the Apple Music. And the first two singles, uh, a version of Frank Sinatra's That's Life and uh, a tune called When in Rome, which was one of those Peggy Lee tunes, um, they're, they're, they're both already available as is my last album, New York Stories. And uh, the new record should drop in the fall. Looks like it'll be the top of September. So be watching for the third single, and um, we'll have a video in which I will dance. <laughs> nice. <There you go. laughs> right? Nice. Really? I, I like that. Talking to you guys. I like the, uh, the, the When in Rome uh, mm-hmm. video. You, you've got it uh, captioned in, uh, in Italian. Uh, in Italian. That, that was that was brilliant, uh, Mika. Thank you so much. This is this has been amazing. Oh, yeah, it's, been a, a it's been a pleasure, guys. What a pleasure. We'll talk to you then on the next go round. Stay safe. Love each other, and we'll talk to you soon.